Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Triad has a great relationship with the National Council for Mental Wellbeing. The National Council advocates for policies that ensure that people with mental health and substance use challenges have access to comprehensive, high-quality services. I'm sure a number of you listening today have heard our prior podcast with Joe Parks, who's the National Council's medical director, or with Aaron Williams, their integrated care consultant and senior advisor, or our show with Shannon Mace we just had recently. She's also a senior advisor at the National Council, and we've had a chance to learn about the various aspects of their expertise and their focus. Well, today I'm excited to have another National Council person with us, Isla Kalala, on our show. Isla is a senior director at the National Council for Mental Wellbeing and works in project leadership, training, technical assistance, supervision, and in public speaking. Her experience as a clinical practitioner, her rapport with members, and her work with Talkspace has given her a pragmatic perspective to developing relevant training for behavioral and mental health professionals. Isla, welcome to our show. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. So nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. Hey, I want to give our listeners just a reminder. The National Council works with about 3,500 mental health and substance use treatment organizations. That's phenomenal. And more than 10 million children, adults, and families that you guys serve. And you guys advocate for policies to ensure equitable access to high-quality services, as I mentioned before. And you guys are, are constantly promoting greater understanding of mental well-being as a core component of comprehensive health and healthcare in general. Today, we get a chance to talk with you, Isla, about your work and your focus with the workforce training and staffing through the National Council. But I'd like to kind of start just with your professional background. You started as, you know, as a social worker with child welfare. Give us a picture of your roots there. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's certainly a far cry from what I what I get to do today, but both are interesting. So I'm a licensed mental health counselor. And as a clinician, I sort of got my feet wet as a clinical supervisor and sort of landed in child welfare. I worked for many years in New York City, predominantly Brooklyn and within child welfare, but in particular on the continuum of, of prevention. So prevention services, so foster care prevention. So I worked, it was called a family treatment and rehabilitation program, sort of the, the, the last stop prior to placement. I spent some years in child welfare and then the, the work that our members do and, and clinicians do every day in the field is heavy, right? And it's always been heavy and I imagine it's even heavier today. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I, I hit a point where I knew I needed a break and I wanted to use my skill sets in a different way. And that's sort of how I got more into telehealth and talk space. And then I actually traveled abroad. I lived in Europe for a while doing some telehealth and I was a consultant for a while. And then I landed at the National Council and the National Council is certainly more of a macro level. So you're thinking much more on like, how are you impacting states and communities versus thinking about how am I impacting this child or these parents? So it's been a big shift, but it's, it's, also, been, it's also been a lot of fun and, and it's really rewarding. I would imagine as you come into this role now and kind of have that 10,000 foot view and you're talking about staffing and trainings and a workforce focus, I would imagine that being boots on the ground and in the trenches, it gives you probably a pretty good perspective of what folks are experiencing, what they're going through, and some of the weight of what they're going through as well. Yeah. And I think there is a complexity to the delivery of services in behavioral health. And, you know, when 
that high level term, right? Of like social determinants of health where we eat, play, work, pray, they all have an impact in how we engage within our community, how we engage with services. And in particular, how, in my opinion, I would say how poverty impacts our ability to, to access services and engage in services. There's a complexity to it that I think unless you work in the field, it's tough to understand. So I, you know, I, I try to bring that perspective when we think about the creation of programs or we think about how we implement services because it's necessary because otherwise it's not a good fit. You know, you create a program that's doesn't meet the needs of what you're actually trying to hit on. That's right. I want to talk about actually some of the needs and some of the trends you're seeing in just a moment. And I would imagine you have a very unique understanding and probably a very nice empathic attunement to what some of the needs are. And also not just the needs of those receiving the services, but those providing the services as well from the practitioner view. Give us a sense of your role and what you're doing in your position now. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's evolved. I've been with the National Council about five, six years now. Okay. And it has certainly evolved over the years. I, I oversee our leadership and workforce development portfolio. Okay. And that sort of has the three kind of major focus areas. I oversee all of our leadership trainings that the National Council offers. I think about and oversee all of the TA and resources and trainings that pertain to workforce capacity. So how we're addressing the workforce crisis. And then at times, sometimes my favorite moments are when I get to put back on my like clinical hat and then right. think like a clinician and kind of inform the content. But the the overall like leadership and workforce development portfolio within the National Council, I think our hope and, and our goal is we want to educate and train current members of the behavioral health workforce and also future members. So thinking about that, like kind of continuum of what your career journey might be, right? So direct care staff, entry level, sort of more junior staff to maybe your senior leadership, middle management, C-suite, you know, how can we best provide services and support for every level and every step along the way? Yeah. One of the things you said earlier about one of the challenges, and before we even get into the trends a wee bit, you talked about capacity you know, the capacity challenge. And there's such a need out there right now. And the idea of, you know, one-on-one -on -one individual services, or maybe some practitioner seeing a couple or a family, it's not realistic in the long term anymore. We, we can't handle the capacity given the level of need that we're seeing being presented coming through our doors in terms of mental health. What are you seeing being necessary to meet in terms of training or expanding programs? And for those in leadership positions as they develop their programs to think about how do we accommodate the level of need that we're seeing. What are some of the thoughts you guys have? This is like a loaded is, question. It? Yeah, it is. It, it, it truly so I, is. I think you could break that into sort of like, why is this happening? What is like the current impact? What does it look like? Mm -hmm. And then what are sort of some of the, the needs to, to address it? So, you know, I, I feel like we spend a lot of time talking about this and thinking about this at work. And I think from a clinical perspective, when we think about the why, you know, historically, clinicians or our members or behavioral health providers, anyone who kind of works in the field, yeah. you know, you deal with these traumatic events or hearing about these traumatic events mm -hmm. or the stress of a job within the, the scope of your work. But yeah. I think post 2020, like through COVID, the nation has experienced like a collective traumatic event. Agreed. Right. So the type of vicarious trauma that you might have experienced within your work 
you're now experiencing within yourself, your friends, your family members, like we're all going through something together. So the work that you're doing, I think no longer is happening in a vacuum, right? And and how has that impacted like the human ability to cope, to process their own experience? You know, when we think about chronic stress on the body, right? So I remember when we went remote in like March of 2020, bringing my monitor home and being like, I'll be back next week. You know, like I, I never, I never went back. I now live in a different state. Like the whole world changed, Yes. but it's this chronic stress. So when you think about how the chronic stress impacts the psychosomatic on the body, how it dulls our ability to like experience acute joy, how we cope, what it does to our resiliency and how these traumatic events kind of shape our perspective on life. So like, I'm sure all of your listeners have heard about this reframe of like this great resignation, right? Mm -hmm. That there's this workforce crisis because so many people are leaving the workforce. Mm -hmm. Recently, we've been having conversations about this reframe about calling it like the great reevaluation, right? Mm -hmm. That I've gone through this major thing and it's impacted how I see the world. And like, do I want to be doing this? Do I have the the coping mechanisms to continue to do this kind of work? So I think there's a lot of things. I think there is this very clinical, psychological, emotional, holistic reason why we are experiencing some of these things. I I really like that perspective. I like also too that you're emphasizing that there's really a multi- a multi-dimensional view that we can have of the various needs that are there that we don't oftentimes just see in the surface. But we can kind of kind of mine down a little bit, we get to see that there are some really significant things that are going on that when they work together present some real challenges. You're talking earlier and, and kind of renaming even right now some of the trends that in your position you're seeing in our nation. And I'm curious about as you see these trends and you develop an understanding of them, how are they helping guide you in the development of your workforce training and staffing? Yeah, I think so often there has been such a push and such a need in how we can support our frontline staff. And I think I've taken a look at it from a leadership perspective. So what types of leadership trainings are needed so that the folks who work in the field have the tools to navigate some of these very difficult conversations. So supervisors are skilled enough to support their staff and take care of themselves. For example, like we have a middle management academy, right? So specific leadership training for middle managers and, you know, how can we continue to develop out specific leadership curricula is sort of one, one avenue. But I think the other thing that comes to mind, the concept of our workforce shortage and the concept of, of what the behavioral health field is experiencing is so broad. There is such a crisis happening. There are staff shortages. There's a lower rate of same day access. There's a lower threshold for stress and the need for this like extreme resiliency that we haven't experienced before. So I think from an organizational standpoint, the other thing that comes to mind, how can me and my colleagues in the National Council and, you know, some of these other member associations help organizations think about a specific strategy? Because the problem is so broad and overwhelming, it's easy to feel like you have to take this like scattershot approach. Like it's all bad. It's all a problem. I'm going to fix all of it. And then you end up being, um, my mom used to say like jack of all trades, master of none. What is your role in this workforce crisis? And what can you get really good at? And what do you feel comfortable and strong in? And then how can you pull in resources from local communities, other organizations to hit on those other pieces that like you might not feel quite as strong in? Yeah, I really like that. You mentioned earlier that, 
part of your appreciation for this type of work is rooted in trauma and how we treat and interact, and even with the folks that we see, and also with our practitioner, you know, colleagues. Say a little bit more about your understanding of trauma and how it infiltrates, you know, the work that gets done. Yeah, you know, I think the idea of this sort of of a trauma-informed approach is sort of shifting from like, what's wrong with you to what's happened to you. Yeah, I I love that. And and we do that with our clients, but I think it's important to do that with with one another and with our own colleagues. Uh, Much of like our behavioral health work is rooted in trauma, like Mm -hmm. how we treat and how we interact with our clients, how we interact with each other, with our colleagues, within leadership. And can we better understand like the root causes of trauma, how it impacts how we're doing our, and then recognizing like within the field, the need to be, to be more trauma informed. Cause I think that this interplay or there's this intersectionality currently with trauma informed care and also much of our social justice work and the current like socio like political awakenings that have happened since, well, for years now, but I think in particular since 2020, since the murder of George Floyd. I think there has there has certainly been been a shift in the awareness of like the systemic racism that exists in in America and in particular in behavioral health and how folks are treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you're really trying to advocate for the way that folks that receive behavioral health treatment really are being addressed with not why are you this way, but help us understand what contextually helps explain these things in your life that have brought you to this place. That's a very different approach, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I think it is an approach that is necessary and provides a level of empathy and grace. You, general you, you know, are this way because of the things that have happened to you because of your experiences in your life. And like, I also like very strongly believe that it's very difficult to to dislike or to hate or any of these negative feelings towards someone, if you have a better understanding of their background, what happened to them, these types of conversations, which require a level of vulnerability are so necessary, especially right now, especially when I think America as a nation is like very raw. Yeah, it really is. I had a, when you say it that way, I had a professor, a family assistant professor, he said, if you're not finding yourself really liking the person that's sitting in front of you that you're helping, or you're not even kind of almost kind of falling in love with them in some ways, in the most professional of ways, mm-hmm. then you don't know enough about them. You need to keep asking more questions. You need to understand, you know, what's going on. And yeah, that, that, it's an empathic view, but there's a, a contextual appreciation that you're encouraging here that really helps us understand the humanity behind what we go through. There's a saying that goes, you know, we've all gone through things in our lives, things that have changed us, you know, and everyone has a story, but we can't judge somebody by the chapter that we walk in on. We have to be open to understand what's a greater perspective that we can have, that we can really appreciate what got them to this point, much of what you're saying right now. Yeah, there's a, there is a common denominator that there is a a grounding humanity that I think that exists within all of us. Yes. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Nearly nine in 10 registered voters believe the nation faces a mental health crisis, according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. Americans are more concerned than ever about their mental health. Mental health first aid provides the resources and training to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health and substance use challenges. It provides the confidence and skills needed to offer life-saving assistance, and it provides peace of mind. Our experts provide mental health first aid training for adults, teens, caregivers, 
veterans, law enforcement, EMS, and school faculty. Mental health concerns are on the rise, but evidence-based training through mental health first aid can make a difference. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org to find a course near you or email hello at mentalhealthfirstaid.org to schedule a training. Courses are available for individuals, groups, organizations, and companies of all sizes. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org and make a difference in your community. Yeah, I agree with that. You mentioned earlier our nation has gone through some significant changes and challenges and COVID and other things that have gone on. I always like to kind of dig a little bit deeper and rather than just, you know, cite the stats and, you know, name the diagnostic, you know, categories that we're finding people, you know, express and manifest in their work with us. But what are you understanding in addition to some of the racial pieces and the, the financial things going on? What are some of the underlying causes that you, in addition, tend to find impacting our behavioral health field at this point? So I think there is a heightened awareness now in structural and the systemic inequities within the behavioral health field, in particular, how communities of color have poor outcomes. They don't receive as comprehensive of services. And I think what's happened is there is now this awareness within at an organizational level of what types of implicit biases exist among staff, among senior leadership, executive leadership, and how do we begin to kind of break that down? Because that impacts where organizations put their money, what type of personnel they hire, how they engage with their clients. I mean, it impacts the individual and those individuals then go into the community and there's an immense impact on the community. So I think there's 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 this there's this one piece of really understanding the immense biases that exist within all of us that take a lot of uncomfortable conversations yeah. and internal work to, to begin to work through, to begin to understand that part of ourselves. And then I think there is this piece around when we think about everything that's happened in the country, I think there's also a lack in behavioral health, specifically a lack of this streamlined leadership approach, right? So I was a behavior specialist at a group home when I was in grad school, for example. And when I got my license, I passed my license exam and I was a licensed mental health counselor. Cool. I got a job as a clinical supervisor where I was in a middle management position. I was I don't know, 26, maybe. I mean, I was rel- rel- you know, younger and newer in, in my career. I was in a leadership position without any formal leadership training, mm-hmm. without any understanding of change management, any understanding of leadership principles. And I think a lot of folks find themselves in that situation Absolutely. because folks who study, you know, you go to school for social work, you go to school for public health. I mean, I studied psychology and forensics. I didn't have any leadership training. Right. So I, I think there's a there's an immense lack of that. And how do we train yes. our middle management and leadership staff to feel better equipped with what's happening in the in the country and how to support their staff? Because I think how you support your staff feeds into retention, yes. the beliefs that we have. It's all related from from pipeline to recruitment to retention. Yeah, I really like that. I, I love how you're starting with what if we start with ourselves first? And have the uncomfortable conversations, have enough trust in the group that as we lean into these times, maybe we get to check ourselves and we all have biases. We all carry things along those lines. And sometimes we're aware of them, sometimes we're not. And ideally, you're talking about some of your trainings allowing the safety to 
occur that allows this exploration to happen, which only betters the services that we get to provide. And then you're talking about from there, how do we equip folks given the positions that they're going to be in and the expectations that are going to be on them? So I, I really like this. So as you're preparing for your various trainings, there's got to be some factors that you pull from that kind of guide you in the development of these. And I know you've been in their shoes. So that, that's got to be a piece that you weave in as well. Yes, absolutely. Been in their shoes, right? So there is a commitment and a passion and a very thoughtful intentionality around what is being created because yeah. I'm able to say, well, that wouldn't have worked for me, right? Like we're missing this big piece right here. So I think that that's an element. And we want to take an approach of both being qualitative and quantitative, right? So how can we also better make some data-driven decisions? So yeah. how do we engage with our members and survey them and talk to them uh, and pull data from the field? to have an understanding of like what what parts right. of the country are, are suffering the most? Where are we having the largest workforce shortage? And how can we think about, okay, who are our members in that area? We know that they're high need. How can we best help them? And when we best help them, then I think you bring in that more anecdotal qualitative approach yeah. with the how. So I, I think National Council does a good job looking at this qualitative and, and this quantitative approach and how we provide our services. I, I really like this this emphasis you're you're sharing with us. You guys really wrestle with some of the hard questions, don't you, about where are the needs needs, you know, most prominent? Where where are the biggest challenges and 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 why? And how can we specifically come alongside these folks to help equip, create awareness, prepare? I I I love that focus. You know, when you're putting these trainings together, do you personally have a particular training that you really love to You know, early on I really loved the clinical work because I think yeah. it felt so close to home. You know, we just launched this month the Social Justice Leadership Academy, and it is this sort of two-prong approach in applying sort of change management principles to social justice topics within the behavioral health field. So when I say like two-prong, we have these two pieces, one being this foundational workbook, which provides sort of educational background and a lot of self-guided exercises that are designed to help behavioral health workforce personnel increase their personal and organizational social justice awareness and how to form action plans for change. So it is thinking about sort of the foundations of social justice and a workbook that focuses a lot on that internal reflection. So oftentimes I think in behavioral health, they'll get these like toolkits. What do you got to do? Yes. You got to implement this and do that. This workbook I think is very different in a sense that it looks really deeply at like the individual biases. Yeah. So the hope is that there's this immense internal re reflection yeah. that then in turn impact how you engage with others yeah. versus, oh, this is how you need to interact with others. It's a little bit deeper. And then that other prong is we just launched it. Mm -hmm. We are doing the 12 month learning series. It's a free virtual series and there's 12 monthly events. It's a 12 month series. And all of the topics will include structural and systemic inequities in mental well-being, thinking about structural and systemic biases. We'll be talking about criminal justice reform and applying change management principles to how we like advance social justice within the organization and, and also within, within yourself. So thinking about sort of this workbook being foundational, and then from there engaging, hopefully, we hope folks come monthly, but you know, no pressure. In, in this 12-month learning series that sort of builds upon some of the more complex and of-the-moment issues within social justice. That's really a really kind of a holistic approach, isn't it, to your training and also leadership development, staffing, training, whatever. 
in, in, in terms of your focus, starting with a person themselves as a practitioner, you know, in our own counter-transferential, you know, interactions in, in, our, in our work, to then the equipping and preparing and understanding of the larger tasks that are going to be in front of them and how to, how to fully equip them so they can reach their fullest potential in the positions that they're in and uh, the duties and responsibilities that they're shouldered with. Really, really thorough. I, I really appreciate kind of walking us through those pieces. Yeah. And, in particular, related to social justice and in particular, yeah. related to understanding implicit bias. If you don't do the level of depth necessary, I think you can risk doing more harm than good. You can understand allyship, but I think if it's not really internalized, then you're doing this performative allyship. And does that do more more harm than good? You know, if you think about, we spend a lot of time talking about like diversification of the workforce. How can you do that in the right way and not, you know, engage in say, tokenism, for example. There's so much learning that is necessary. And I learn every day. As, as a white female, my own privilege, I've had some real difficult conversations in the last couple of years and a lot of internal reflection on how myself as a white female, a privileged white female who worked in a community that was predominantly like a BIPOC community, my own like discretions, my own perhaps microaggressions that happened years ago that I'm I'm reflecting on now. You know, ev- everyone has has space to grow. Absolutely, yeah. I I I like that piece. If we're going to come into this field and we have a a heart and an intent to be effective and to be helpful, not understanding ourselves fully in terms of our biases or or the things that can come in and color the things that we're doing unconsciously. Bringing that to a conscious level, you've mentioned this point several times today, and I, and I really appreciate that part. That's understanding ourselves. That's through our own work. That's through our own trainings. That's through our own kind of group meetings and leaning into the hard questions. And it sounds like your training kind of anchors and kind of cornerstones all subsequent training upon this idea of what do you bring as a clinician, as a worker to this field. And I, I think that's the way that we can be of greatest use when we have a greatest understanding of ourselves first. What you're saying is is making me realize like my own bias to this work, right? We joke a lot, like, you know, social folks who maybe engage or study social work has sort of this more macro approach to the work, approach to behavioral health, whereas psychology, I think, is very much more focused on the individual. I was a social worker for years. I work in behavioral health, but I think I am a counselor at heart. I always sort of carry this belief that like it starts with the individual, like the individual makes up the community. So mm. I, I tend to, to a fault sometimes, I think I tend to always want to go back to the individual. How does the individual that's on the team, that team is part of an organization, that organization impacts a community, that community impacts like neighboring communities in the state. And how does that impact policy? But I always find myself going back to what's the internal work that's happening. I think that's a great touchstone to kind of return to all the time, what's coming up. I mean, even in a session, being able to kind of have that third eye looking in saying, you know, what am I feeling, experiencing? How am I responding? And to have that awareness around our own stuff, that's that's definitely a part of the, of the relationship or let alone the, you know, the complementary counter, we're getting a little therapy here, but the, the complementary counter transference, those things that are being pulled from us in sure. relation to the person that we're seeing. And that's, that's all grist for the mill. It's all good stuff. And it's not like, oh, you got biases. Of course we got biases doesn't matter. Understand what they are and, and work with them and put them exactly. in, a, in a proper place so that we can be of best use, which is for the reason, you know, the reason that we come into this field. You know, I'm thinking, I know we're kind of winding down here in terms of our time to get us, but I think we could probably go on and keep talking about a number of these things. I think we're kind right. of 
pinging off of each other in ways that maybe we hadn't anticipated in this talk, but it's been really, really enjoyable. You know, for right now, I, anyone listening that's considering incorporating, you know, the myriad services that the National Council offers into their programs, what would you say might be some good next steps for them to take a look at, and maybe even some resources that you'd encourage them to take a look at? Yeah, I think the first question is, you know, what what is their greatest need? What is that that local community organization experiencing? I'm thinking more about building up my workforce, and I really want to focus on the use of, say, peer recovery support specialists, right? An, an, an underutilized job function. Then I think, you know, the National Council website sort of does break down. Are you thinking about public health? Are you yeah. thinking about workforce development? So I think the first thing is like, what are you most struggling with? And if it's leadership trainings, like, can you reach out to me? Can I talk to you and engage with you? Get a better understanding of what your needs are. Trauma-informed leadership, trauma-informed supervision. Like National Council has a deep and a very wide bench of consultants um, that do a lot of work with local community behavioral health organizations to help them both overcome or like mitigate some of the, the stressors that they're experiencing, but also help them better understand how to develop a plan, what it is they're actually going through and how to better articulate their needs. You know, I really like your website. It poses some good questions for those on the site to, say, to help them kind of walk through, you know, what are my needs specifically? Not just this is a cool site, but it actually kind of triggers some thinking about what's going to be my most apparent need and what do you guys offer in that area? And yeah, there, again, and there are a ton of services you guys provide. It is deep and wide that bench you're talking about for sure. Yeah. You know, do I want to get involved with my local state association? Do I yeah. want to understand what's happening in my state on a policy level? Like we, we have a policy team that can, that can provide yeah. that. Do I want to better train staff? I mean, really name it. Like the national council has a, a wide scope, you know, we have resources for that. So I think Part of it is having an understanding or really trying to be able to articulate it. And we can, we work through this with a lot of folks yeah. being able to articulate, like, what is my need? And then, and then we can appropriately direct folks. Like if, if it's related at all to training, I mean, I'll, I'll talk to anyone. Yeah. yeah really good. <laughs> That's really yeah. good. I'm, I'm, I would imagine they're going to really benefit from their time with you and the number of people that you guys have in your, in your program. We're going to put your website up on our site as well for our listeners to tap into and go, go take a look at, but Isla, I really want to thank you for our time together today. It's been a real joy being with you. Could I also share the Social Justice Leadership Academy workbook? The workbook is at cost, but the, the monthly events are free. They can just pop in if they want. Just click on the event and you can register. It's a, it's a Zoom link, same as you would any, any other live virtual event. I appreciate you kind of uh, taking that on to our time here today. And that will be on our site. People can log on to that. Awesome. Take into that piece and they'll uh, have it highlighted and take a look at it because you're because you're bringing our attention to it. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, thank you. That's thank good. Well, great to have you again here with us today. Sure appreciate our time together. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. It's been lovely. I would agree. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Isla and I today. It's always great to have you with us as well. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you, as I was mentioning earlier, that it and its resources and all of our other podcasts can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So come check us out on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we will look forward to having you with us back next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. 
Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.